Mark chapter 6 um, from 6b onwards if you want to um, read along with me. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. Then Jesus, actually, I'm reading a different version, so I'm going to go with that somewhere on the screen. Uh, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Good morning. And once again, you've already been well, um, well wished a well, um, a good Father's Day or the fathers, but I'll do the same again. It is great, isn't it? It's um, it's great to be loved and to um, and to feel a sense of uh, appreciation. And I've certainly uh, done that this morning. It was going to be a big weekend for us, um, you know, Father's Day today, and then Mum's ninety fifth um, birthday yesterday. But as I flew in from the Solomon Islands on, on Friday night at about 8 o'clock, I turned on my phone and there was a message from Lynn saying, oh, darling, um, ambulance is here just now to take mum off to, off to the sand. So um, she spent her 95th birthday in hospital, uh, nil by mouth, but all the family were in her room eating. So that was, that was a wonderful way for her to celebrate. Um, so we'll head over there again this afternoon. So appreciate your prayers just as they try and uh, find out what might be wrong with her. So a different, uh, a different birthday for, for mum. Last week, um, Luke looked at the whole aspect of being honoured and looked at two accounts of Jesus. Um, Jesus, in, in one respect, was greatly honoured by Jairus. Remember the story of, of Jairus? Um, Jairus had gone off. Um, his, his daughter was sick and he'd gone off to see, uh, to see Jesus. And while he was speaking to Jesus, someone came from, uh, from his house and said, don't worry the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. And the words of Jesus were, don't be afraid, just believe. What did Jairus do? He took Jesus as he, at his word. He honoured Jesus and took him at his word and we know what happened. His daughter was miraculously raised to life. And then Jesus went on back to his home village where you think that he would have been well honoured and appreciated. But instead the reverse happened. Jesus chose not to do any miracles there because of their unbelief. Two aspects of honour, two ways that, that people respond to Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at being sent. The whole aspect that God honours us, those of us who have come into a relationship with him, to be people worthy of trust, worthy to be sent out with the good news of the gospel. I want you to go back in time. What was the first time that you can remember being counted worthy of trust? You remember that? Right back. The first time might be an event that you thought, oh, gee, you know, this is amazing. I'm being asked to do something very special. For someone to go back into school, you know, a school teacher would walk in, oh, I've got a special task for that person that's sitting up straight. All the hands go up, you know. I can remember being counted worthy of trust by our next door neighbour. I was probably five or six. And her name was Mrs Hummel. And she uh, yelled to me over the fence and said, Brian, can you come? Um, over to my house. So I went over there 
And it turns out Mrs. Hummel had had a run-in with a local shopkeeper. Now, in the old days, they used to have corner shops, you know, and uh, they were things that existed, um, a few of them in each of the suburbs. And so she had a run-in with a, the shopkeeper and she didn't want to grace his shop with her presence. But she needed something desperately. She needed a packet of cigarettes. And uh, in those days, a five-year-old or a six-year-old kid could go up the street and ask for a packet of cigarettes. So Mrs. Hummel said to me, now, if he asks who the cigarettes are for, don't tell him they're for me. Say they're for your mother. And I said, Mrs. Hummel, mum doesn't smoke. And she said, oh, okay, say they're for Mr. Williamson. He was the other neighbour. So I went up to the shop and so the first time, one of the first times I can be counted worthy of trust is for an act of deceit. I was a tobacco runner. Now, I don't know about you. Can you remember a time when you were entrusted to something? But this passage of Scripture is something of such importance for us because this call of Jesus, this sending out of Jesus, this counting these 12 worthy of trust is not just something that was for these 12. This is something that the Bible tells us is for all who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a mission and we are being sent out. So let's have a look at this uh, passage just uh, very quickly this morning. Unpack some of these key things. The first thing is that we are sent. I don't know about you, but I find it um, almost an incomprehensible thing to think that the creator of this universe, who I've come into relationship with, entrusts me with a message, a life-giving message, and that people that still... Are, don't know Jesus are dependent on how well people who do know Jesus communicate that message. We're trusted, we're honoured and we're sent. And I know many of us will battle with that. We'll say, well, how can I be sent? You know, this week I haven't, my life hasn't really stacked up, you know. I've lost it with the kids. It's been a bad week. You know, I haven't even lived up to my own expectations, let alone the way God, I think God wants me to live my life. So how can I really go with a clear conscience and impact someone else's life? And that's something we need to deal with. If that's you, we need to deal with that this morning. Because the issue is not how you've lived your last couple of days. The issue is if you've come to Jesus Christ, you're a new creation, you are made in the image of God, you've got a new identity, and you've been given a mission. And I think so often, I know I have at times in the past disqualified myself from that mission because of something that I've done in the previous days or weeks. I'm unworthy, Lord. How can I take your life-giving message? I'm not worthy to carry it. We need to deal with it. That's why we come to the table of communion. We remember what Jesus has already done. We don't measure up. We could never measure up. That's why Jesus came. And he's given us the ministry, as Rach said before when she was introducing that new song, to be Christ's ambassadors. So we're sent. I want you to grab hold of that this morning. We're sent, but that's not the full story. We're sent with authority. Part of the outworking of our salvation is that wherever we go, we take the authority of God. 
He called the 12 to himself and he began to send them out two by two and he gave them authority. And we see that in uh, Matthew and the Great Commission. We see other passages of Scripture where God sends us out with his authority. What does that authority mean? We're going to dive into that as we come to Revelation 12. But before that, I mean, we come into a dark world, don't we? Because he was sending them out with authority over evil spirits. And we can look at the darkness in our world. We've only got to turn on our TVs and listen to the news on the radio. And oftentimes we can despair. We live in a world where there is turmoil, turmoil, torment, despair, where there doesn't seem to be a way out. And yet that's just in the physical sense when we see that. Then we see the mental anguish with the anxiety and the depression that people experience from day to day. Um, only uh, about a month ago, the brother of one of the boys in the, in the house next door took his own life. 19-year-old young man coming to the end of his education, all the world in front of him. And yet, as I spoke with uh, the former house parent who was his uncle, he said the voices just keep, keep coming into his head. There's no hope for you in this world. You need to end it. You need to end it. And he left a letter to that extent saying exactly that. It's the brokenness of the world we live in, the darkness of the world we live in, and we're being sent with the authority into that. So how do we battle a situation like that? How do we take that authority and walk in in that way? Well, Revelation 12 lets us know how this battle is to be fought. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Friends, the battle over the darkness of this world has already been won. The blood of the Lamb that we have remembered today. That's why the cross and the preaching of the cross is so essential for us. It's not something that just represents an historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. What happened on the cross and the victory that happened on the cross is relevant for you and for me as we live our life each and every day, as we testify to God's reign and God's rule. And I learned this um, about 12 years ago. I remember um, getting off a charter flight on the outskirts of, of Columbaroo, that broken community in, in, in the Kimberley, and walking into the community. And we'd been asked to keep going back. We'd had our mission, our, our initial mission trip, and we'd been asked to go back and to keep working with the, the CEO of that community. She wasn't a Christian lady, as you and I would understand it, but she was a God-fearer. And I remember walking in, and there was this oppression, there was this darkness. So it, was, it, was, it was coming down on me. And it wasn't just the weight of my backpack as I walked in. There was a physical oppression as I walked into this place. And I was feeling, I was feeling overcome. And I was praying, Lord, is there any hope for this place? I can feel this darkness. I can feel, what, can, what can one person do walking into a community like this? And the words came to me. In the words of the Lord, the battle has already been won. Satan is a defeated foe. All you need to do is to come and declare my reign and declare my rule. I've given you authority to do that. 
And it was an amazing trip as I sat there and sat with this lady and planned. And, and after that, we were able to make different arrangements um, for um, actually Keith Jobbin's daughter, Belinda, and her husband, Tim, to go up there and to be a part of that community. And then some girls came down, um, as you know, and they came and were part of the futsal team that went and played in the Nationals. And they were involved in Christianity Explained. And, they, and, and some of them gave their life to the Lord. And they went back into that community and they disclosed some of the things that had been happening. Some of the girls disclosed what had been happening to them. And that's when the whole aspect of the sexual abuse um, became, uh, um, yeah, became publicly aware for people. 16 men from that community were arrested on child sexual abuse charges as, as a healing process started in that place. Still a broken community. We caught up with some of those girls last week on our on Two weeks ago, as Lynn and I went up to a wounded event. But justice was being done as men were being brought in. Why do I tell that, you that story? Well, what is true for Columbaroo is true for you and for me each and every day. We battle strongholds. We're being sent to combat the evil of this world and the battle has already been won. It's been one at the cross and we need to take hold of that and we need to declare God's reign and God's rule in those places, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in the communities, in our sporting clubs that we're engaged in. This is a wonderful privilege to be sent by God and to be sent out with his authority. And their mission's a walk of faith. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. This is a picture of uh, total trust in God's provision. And yet the way the world would say we need to keep accumulating, we keep, we keep needing to, to um, expand our influence. And Jesus is saying quite the opposite. Just trust me. Simply trust me in the process. Now, sometimes this can be taken a little bit to the extreme. Um, I, I can uh, remember some years ago getting a call from a lady who said, uh, Brian, there's a, a Solomon Island young man who's uh, landed in Brisbane and, um, and he's on his way to an international sports ministries conference in Athens. But he's got no money with him and obviously no credit card. Ordinary Solomon Islanders don't have credit or debit cards. And he's got certain things to do in Brisbane. They've contacted me. The Qantas help desk in Brisbane has contacted me, said this lady, because I'm the contact on his itinerary. But he's got to pick up a Greek um, visa there. He's got other expenses along the way. And he's got absolutely nothing. He's got to get a connecting flight to Sydney. He's got a five-hour layover in Sydney. And then he takes off to Athens later that night. So cut a long story short, you know, after a lot of phone calls, a lot of mucking around, a couple of us drove out to the airport and out comes this fellow and he's saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh God is good. I was praying with my friends this morning that I should leave the Solomon Islands without any money whatsoever and see if God would provide for me to get all the way to Athens with nothing. And I said, Eddie, yes, his real name. I said, Eddie, did you have some money? And he said, yes, they sent me money for the journey. But this morning, we thought it best just to live by faith as the early disciples did. And I said, Eddie, do you know how many people have been running around this morning to provide for you twice? God provided for you the first time by sending your money. 
Eddie, here's some more money. Have a good conference. (laughs) I wasn't quite that short. We spent some time with him, praying with him. But sometimes we can complicate things. God has already given us some resources to use. This passage is not about neglecting the resources that we already have. It's about accumulating baggage in our lives that are going to stop us from being able to minister the way Jesus wants us to. And then we need to look for what God's already doing. Mark writes, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Or as Luke's account put it when he sent out the uh, the 72, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. God is working in our world. There used to be an image that um, the missionary, when the missionary went out to a place, the missionary would take God with them and God wasn't there until the missionary went. There was this image that someone would have. It's true that we need to go. That's why Jesus sent the 12. That's why Jesus sent the 72. That's why Jesus sends you and me today. We need to go. But God is already at work. All around the world, in the darkest of places, God is already doing his work. And what our eyes need to be open to see is what God is doing and how we can join in in that. And oftentimes I've realised that there are a man or a woman of peace in that place, either a Christian or a not yet Christian who has a heart for their community and for their world who will open doors. The mayor of Honiara, who invited us to come over as a church and to, to be engaged in, in the Solomon Islands, was one of those. Ian Trust from Woonan, another man, not yet a Christian, as you and I would understand that, but a God-fearer who actually invites us to make a difference in that world. Former CEO of Columbaroo, that lady I mentioned earlier, a God-fearer who wanted a change in her community and open doors. Who are the, peace, who are the um, men and women of peace in your area? Maybe in your sporting club, maybe in your street, maybe in your workplace, but someone who can open doors of opportunity or work with you to, to bring Christ into that very situation. And then they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and appointed and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In other words, they went and they did what they were instructed to do. They preached, they prayed, and they healed. And this for us is where the rubber hits the road. You know, we can battle with the fact that we're actually sent. We are people that are sent. We can believe that we're sent with authority. We can realize that it's a journey of faith. We can look for the man or the the woman of peace, but somewhere along the line, the rubber has got to hit the road and we need to engage in mission with people. We need to be boldly engaged in sharing our testimony, in praying and healing. Our church community is a great place. It's a safe place. It's a place of warmth and it's a place of comfort, but we're called to be the salt of the earth. And when we grab hold of the salt at home and we put it on our plate, we don't pile it up at the corner of the plate. 
just leave it there. We sprinkle it over the meal. And so we don't remain piled up here as salt that meet each and every week in this, in this facility where to be going out into our communities and making a difference. And I confess that I often find this easier to do in mission experiences away from home than I do in my home. And I've had to work hard to see each and every day as an opportunity for mission and to approach life like that. Um, it's easy to do that when we're away on mission. Just this last week, I was in the Solomon Islands and I had a, a fantastic time being able to, to teach in our sports ministry school and to preach and also to be engaged in praying into and breaking the strongholds of Satan over a church and over some people that were obstacles to the ministry. To be engaged in praying for someone's healing and I had the privilege of being prayed for. I was saying to Heather, I think some of my hearing is starting to come back. Not, not noticeably, as if I was to go like this, you speak. Yeah, well done, Rick. Thank you. Um, you're nodding your head. You didn't say a word. But anyway, that's good. Um, that's right. But I think some of that's coming back. And I trust that that will continue to to, to happen as I trust God for this miracle with our hearing. But that's the reality. We need to go and we need to do it. So what are some of those practical steps? Well, I think pray bold prayers. For me, waking up every morning and saying, Lord, today you're sending me. You dwell within me, but you're always also sending me into this day, into my world to make a difference. So today I pray that you would use me I want to declare your reign over every aspect of this world that I'm walking in. And Father, I pray for opportunities just to share who you are. Be intentional about seeking out people who show an interest in the gospel. Naturally sharing what God's doing. Being honest about the journey. Inquiring about people where they're up to with their own life. And asking boldly to pray into their life. There's a time in my life when I would have been very hesitant about asking another person if I could just pray for them. And that comes a lot more naturally now. And I, don't, I don't, cannot remember ever being knocked back by someone who said, I don't want to be prayed for when they've shared a need. 